ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank on Branham. It's Joe George, assistant to the regional manager behind the glass, and it is hey. Tuesday edition, a Taco Tuesday edition of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Did you get into the Derby at all yesterday? Did you watch any of the home run I, derby? I was watching it. I was running errands and doing some things around the house. We had it on the TVs, and I was watching uh, in and out. Uh, it's gimmicky, as I said yesterday. It got even more gimmicky. But um, with some of the guys' swings, the guy that impressed me the most didn't win it. Randy Arozarena's swing, the way he... He go his transfer from the way he loads up and how violently controlled his swing is. That first round and the way he was swinging a bat was impressive. Last round, I thought he was hitting fungo. <laughs> he was going so fast and just trying to like yeah. slap. I think the they ball. run out of gas. I no, think they, it's were, too long. they were very yeah. tired. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero was was worn out. He was gas. I, I I tweeted it yesterday. They need to go back to the outs. I cannot stand the timed home run derby. Like first off, to your point, like they're. They're not swinging their normal swing no. by the time they're in the second round, third round. They're not swinging their normal swing in the final minute. Like, some injury concern there. And then secondly, it's just not as fun. Like, I want to see the ball travel. I don't want to see a race to see how many balls leave the yard. Julio Rodriguez hurt his back last year. You yeah. can see why. He's not the biggest guy. and Normally, you get the big power hitters that have a little more ease to getting it over the fence. But you can see, especially the slighter guys, have to really just keep on violently swinging and you could pull something and with you do it with that many times and that many reps, bad things can happen. Like I thought one of the coolest things was Rushman going with his bonus time and going from the left side of the plate to the right side of the plate and hitting seven out of eight and going, now that's cool because now you can kind of, you can pause yourself and, and flip it over. To not hurt an oblique. Yeah. But, I mean, that was pretty impressive. I thought oblique, too, when he did that. Oh, no question. <laughs> it's funny that you were thinking that, too. Yeah. Because I, I didn't think that about anybody else, but whenever he went to the other side of the plate, I was like, oh, he, he might uh, he might hurt Tweet his something. oblique. Yeah. Uh, people were asking us yesterday. We never got to it, though. Home run derby or slam dunk contest? Which one is more entertaining? Well, they both suck. Uh, See, I've- I love both of them, but they've lost their luster. Yeah. Like, they're not nearly as good as they once were. Like, I was thinking yesterday, too, even before the, you know, because it's Seattle and they were showing King Griffey at Camden Yards. Like, the, the one home run that I remember more than any other home run in the home run derby is King Griffey one hop in the warehouse, the warehouse. at Camden Yards. Yep. Yep. Like, I remember that more than any home run derby moment in my entire life. You wouldn't get that nowadays. You wouldn't see, like, you wouldn't have that moment. And part of that moment is, like, everybody reacting, oh, he went off the warehouse. You're not looking at that anymore. Right. It's, it's terrible. It's bad. I think between the two, the dunk contest to me, not just because I'm, you know, I love basketball. I love both sports. I, I think that the athleticism that you see is unmistakable. Like, when a guy can go up and do the kind of things in the air with the basketball athletically, you're like, that's still kind of you go, whoa. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you got a guy throwing at 43 miles an hour, hanging it over the middle of the plate, and just hear, screaming, hit me as hard as you can, it's you're supposed, to, as a major league player, you're supposed to be able to smash baseballs like that. So I think if I had to pick between the two, I'd take the dunk contest. Yeah, I, I'm derby. I'm probably derby, too. Can I ask a question? No. No. You know the Who answer. Who won? Who won the dunk contest? 
this past year is Mac the McClung, Mac, Mac NBA McClung. G League All Star. Who yeah. won the home run derby? Mac McClung didn't even play like in the NBA this year. Who won the home run derby? Mac McClung. The home run derby. Mac McClung. Vlad Guerrero. One of the best baseball players we have. It was pretty cool seeing so the father's done. You have a G League All Star. Have you seen Mac McClung swing a bat? Like I just there are nobodies in the dunk contest. Yeah. Like the dunk contest means nothing because the players, just like the actual games in the NBA, so that's a good point. tell you that it means nothing. Like last night, we had the future of baseball is Adley Rushman and Julio Rodriguez. Yeah. Like the future of the NBA is not Matt McClung. Yeah, that's how that they should use both of those. That events, is a valid point. Is to propel the young players and. Like, Vladimir Guerrero's already, obviously, on his way. He's already there. Mm-hmm. But another thing that propels him forward, like a Rose Arena on that spotlight, Julio Rodriguez, Rushman Garcia. on that spotlight, Garcia. He, he's older than people would think. But still, I'm he, he, it I've builds always, the stardom. I've always thought those guys, build-wise and, and game-wise, were so similar, Rose Arena and Garcia. Really? And then to find out how like that they were actually like brothers. I think a Rose Arena's small. Garcia is like an Adonis. I think the both both the way they play, the way their games translate, the kind of statistically the way they play the game. Yeah, I, I I just think those two guys are so kind of underrated compared to like the Acuna Juniors and you know the guys the Tatis Junior a few years ago and some guys like that that were coming up. Those guys are studs, man. A Rosarina from Cuba. They're both. I mean, you, you, their stories are very similar, and they were in the same system. They were with the Cardinals. Cardinals traded both of them away. Have you ever heard of another Cuban named Randy? I'm sure it's short for something, right? I couldn't tell you. It says full name Randy or Rosarina. Have you ever heard of another Cuban's name Randy? I can't say that I have off the top of my head. Like it's not a very Latin American name, right? Like how's his name Randy? I was wondering this. It was I was watching the home run derby yesterday. Everything I find on him says Randy. Randy's his first name. Whatever. Uh Astros get ready for the Second half of the season. Uh, we know that it's not the true second half of the season. Somewhere Palillo would yell at us. Um, what are the biggest questions that you have for the Astros, though, going into the second half of the year? 713-780-ESPN, the HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. What are the biggest questions you have for the Astros as they get ready for the post-All-Star break portion of their schedule beginning on Friday in Los Angeles? I have three on the top of my mind. What do you got? What are your biggest questions in the second half for the Houston Astros? Uh, can they stay healthy? I think that's a big one. I never thought that I'd be saying it and being that adamant about it, but that's a big, that's a huge question because when healthy, I think that this lineup and and every aspect of this team is capable of going a long way in the playoffs, if not competing for another World Series. If they can't, and that includes Michael Brantley because you did commit the money and you did expect to have him playing already, uh, then they... What then? My next question, the follow-up question, would be: What are you going to do before the deadline to kind of help to fix your shortcomings? And, and so, those are the two biggest issues to me: Can they stay healthy, and what are they going to do to try? And whether you call it, you know, not you personally, but whether you're looking for another insurance policy or two, mm-hmm. or you actually are going to admit that, hey, Michael Brantley may never play a game for you this year in an Astros uniform. We need to make sure that we have someone there that can. Can they stay healthy? We don't know. I would probably not. Like, let's be very honest about injuries in sports. You don't always have a full bill of health, right? Like, 
If you look look at the Astros this year, look how many injuries they had in the first half of the season. McCullers, Garcia, Urquidy, Altuve, Jordan, Brantley. The list goes on and on. I mean, Chaz McCormick was on the injured yeah, list for a period of time. Uh, Jeremy Pena had a stiff neck for sleeping the wrong way in his hotel. He missed a, an entire series. Like, injuries happen in sports. Attrition happens in sports. So to say are the Astros going to be healthy for the entire second half, you would be foolish to say that they're going to be completely healthy for the second half of the season. You hope that whatever injuries happen, you can they're minor, you can sustain them, you get them back in the postseason. But the reality of the situation is there's going to be injuries uh, in the second half. The Brantley question, I think he's done. Like I, I, I you and I talked about this. I wrote him off. We we're at the All Star break. You were now. way before I was yeah. in writing him off too. Like yeah. I, I thought that you were going to get him back at some point. Like you were like, well, I'll believe him when I see it. Well, we still haven't seen it. Like it, it's, I think right now, best case scenario, best case scenario. If you're being pie in the sky, Astro goggles, everything's happy, everything's always good. Like I think best case scenario is you get Michael Brantley back as a pinch hit type. Like I don't think I don't think he's a guy that. who can get four plate appearances every single day. You said that, and I was fighting it, going, "No, I, if I want Michael Brantley back, then I want him to be able to play left field, play every day, do the things I need him to do." Of course, you would, yeah, and and, and that would be realistic of any Astros fan. But now we've passed the point of of trying to be realistic. Now we're just well beyond hopeful to basically say what I said yesterday. I'm not counting on him. I'm done with him. I'm I'm not going to expect for a single moment the rest of the season he will be a part of this team and be able to contribute. And if he does, it is the absolute cherry on top icing on the cake. That I didn't expect, would, but but would love to you know work with. In the meantime, I've got to focus my efforts on how do I replace him, what do I do to make this team better, mm-hmm. and how do I make up for the shortcoming of a hole that was left by a guy that was supposed to be here all season. Yeah, I think that one of those questions is definitely going to be the deadline, and it's kind of like I don't want to phrase this like we're going to learn a lot not only about the Astros future in 2023 and their prospects of being a World Series contender, but we're also going to learn more about Dana Brown. Like We have very little information on what Dana Brown's going to look like as a general manager. We have very little intel on what Dana Brown's going to be like at the trade deadline, because if you just look at this city's history when it comes to general managers, all of those, all the GMs we've seen, they all have a reputation, right? They all have characteristics as a general manager. Bill O'Brien was a was a a doofus and a buffoon and was terrible and the worst general manager we've ever seen in the NFL. Uh, I don't think that's hyperbolic saying that. Daryl Morey was a very analytical guy, shrewd probably. Jeff Luno was very aggressive. I think he liked the big names and was creative in a way to try to find big names. Remember, he traded for Bryce Harper, but the Nationals owner was like, nah, we're good. He traded for Garrett Cole. He traded for Justin Verlander. Luno was very splashy. James Click was probably like shrewd but conservative and was like, the master of the minor deal, like Mauricio Dubon, like Yiner Diaz, like the throw-ins were, were Click's reputation as a general manager with, with the Astros and in this city. What is Dana Brown? We have no idea. Everything that we tell you about Dana Brown is based on his previous history as an assistant general manager. We don't know a whole lot about Dana Brown as a general manager for the Houston Astros. We don't. And, and you know how I always say when we're starting to evaluate general managers – my true evaluation really starts with their first big move. And I guess you could say that one of their first big moves was locking up Jordan Alvarez. But for me, it's the move that you make externally, the moves that you have to make that affect not only your team but externally. And in the case of Nick Casario, it was how, you, how do you get Deshaun Watson out and get something in return? And then other things subsequently have happened since then where we continue to you know to, to grade the, the, the moves. Um, I think that... You know, from a Rafael Stone standpoint, 
it started with the Harden trade. And then you go on from there. And then you evaluate from there. Dana Brown hasn't done anything of massive significance to where we have any idea what he's going to do. It's kind of like even with the draft. We saw a tendency that we may not have seen previously with Astros general managers that he wants college players that are closer to the major league level. Maybe that's something he learned in Atlanta. And it might only be this year because he's trying to play catch up with the picks that you had stripped. Right, so right. like like I don't even know if I'm going to put a whole lot of Dana Brown stock in the draft sure. because he's kind of playing catch up. Although the draft is moving very much more to college players. So maybe it is a trend. I don't know, but we've never seen Dana Brown as a general manager uh handle the trade deadline. Has he made a trade? He's made a bunch of minor trades for like journeyman, like low level a pitchers, right? Like yeah, he's cash considerations, right? Like we, he's not made a significant trade. What is the most significant trade that that Dana Brown has made to this point as the Houston Astros general manager? It's probably for a name you don't know. I don't know the dude that they traded for with oh, the Reds, the pitcher, the Baltimore Orioles, yeah, the Orioles name. Pit, the, no, I have no clue. exactly. Like right. I don't think any of us do. Like the Dana Brown has not made a significant trade in his career. As a general manager. So that's a, ma- that's a major question. What does Dana Brown look like as a GM at the deadline? You know, we don't know. 713-780-ESPN, the HRP listener line. 713-780-3776. What are your biggest questions for the Astros in the post-All-Star break uh, portion of the schedule? 713-780-3776. We're on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. He's at Pac-Man Joel on Twitter. I'm at Jeremy Branham on Twitter. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. I got to tell you about HRP, Human Resources and Payroll. It's Cougar-owned by my colleague, O'Cooks, and members of the Cougar 100 for the eighth year in a row. Uh, you've seen the HRP sign at U of H Games. You've seen their building off the beltway, hanging that U of H flag proudly. Business owners, let HRP help you. They can help in a variety of different ways. HR compliance, benefits administration, payroll, onboarding, HRP can help in any or all of those areas. There's no boxes with HRP. Doesn't matter how small, doesn't matter how big. HRP completely customizes a plan for what you and your business need. You have a problem, you have an issue, you want to take a little bit off your plate. HRP will find a way to help. They do it in a way that's very unique. Technology meets service. They have the best technology. You'll love that. You'll trust that. But you'll love their service. Guaranteed fulfillment. You won't be talking to a stranger on a call board. You'll be talking to someone who knows you. They know your business needs. Give them a call right now, 281-880-6525. Let HRP customize a plan for you, 281-880-6525. Or check them out on the web at hrp.net. That's hrp.net. All teams covered. No stalking points necessary. You're back with the Killer Bees on 97.5 and 92.5. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. 60-30, I, I'd wash my hands. I've washed my hands with Brantley. Find some pop for the lineup and maybe a, a bullpen arm. Uh, Dana told Rosenthal he wants a rotation arm, a bullpen arm, and a bat. Good luck. I want a million dollars. Yeah, exactly. I want to win the lottery. I think you can do it, but all the pieces would be small. Like they would be a they would be three guys that are kind of no namey. Kind of like we just did. Like who's the guy they got from the Reds and who's yeah. the guy they got well, from the Orioles? You you'd get them off a major league roster. Yeah, I but... think they would actually help your major league team, but like mm, let me see if there's a name. I started to put my list together. We'll do this tomorrow. What I think's gonna happen is I think that the Astros are gonna trade for three okay players. Uh, an okay starter that makes their rotation better, an okay reliever that's like an upgrade over the final pitcher that you have on your pitching staff, and an okay bat that you can platoon with Corey Jolks. That's my guess of what's going to happen. Like, there, here's one name, just to tease it a little bit. 
of a name that's going to be on our trade candidate. Okay. I'm not going to call it a wish list yet because there's a few guys that I want to talk about before we make it. Mm-hmm. A guy that enters our wish list, Chris Davinsky. Chris Davinsky's not somebody that's going to move the needle. He's not a splash. Is he better than Ronel Blanco as your final pitcher on the pitching staff? Yeah. Is, yeah, is, he is. Is the circle... Circle of death, baby. Is it close to at least putting people... He's not like, not not circle of death, three, but is it... 382 ERA. Like, not great, I mean, but better than Ronel Blanco, better I, than Brandon Belak. That's going to move the needle. I don't think it would. I think you'll see, like, a... Uh overreaction from fans on both sides. See, I think you can get Chris Davinsky for a prospect we've never heard of and that will never make No, I think like you'll see a lot of people that are so excited he's back in Houston. If that were to happen, and then you're going to have but a bunch of people that are so upset. You're probably right. If, if he had the circle of critical condition, I mean, at least he could get some guys out. He's got a 382 ERA. He's been pretty good this year. Like, and, he's been better than Renato Blanco. Think, you know, kind of back to um, um, what's our the center fielder from U of H, Michael Bourne. Bourne. What, when he mentioned, like, when okay. you get traded or you go to a different team, the adjustment. Zvetsky's been here, done that. Mm-hmm. I think he'd have a comfort level here. He would walk right back into that clubhouse, and he knew he'd have a lineup behind him where I think he could help. He's in, he was with the Angels, right? Yeah, he's been hurt the last three years, including his final year with the Astros. He's not pitched more than, like, ten games in a full season since this year, and he's been good. Mm-hmm. Like, And, again, this, like, this is the type of player I think is going to happen. I think you're going to find a Davinsky type for the bullpen. I think you're going to find a Davinsky type to fill out the rotation. I think you're going to find a Davinsky type that can platoon in left field and give you a left-handed option in left heel, left field or a DH. So you get three players that are an upgrade over the final positions on this team. It's not going to move the needle. It's not a splash. But you're not really giving up right. anything of consequence. What's, what's Gritchek's? Gerchek's, I haven't uh, gotten to the Rockies yet. Because I think that he's a guy that's not going to move a lot of needles with yeah. Astros fans. But I think he's a guy that's a better than serviceable option that's got experience that could help this team. The the only issue, I, I would agree with that. The only issue I have with it is he's right-handed. And you're already very right-handed to heavy in the outfield. I think you have to find a left-handed bat. That's the only issue I have with it. See, I don't know. Yeah, I, I differ from you in that I don't think you have to. I get it. And I think you... There's a definite need for a left-handed bat, mm-hmm. but I think at this point, I just need a better, more more reliable bat. Yeah, when you get close to the playoffs. Fair. I think it's a. I think it's a, a very fair assessment. But the the one thing that I would push back on is when the Woo Girl pitched for Seattle, and that guy was awful, awful against left-handed hitters all year long. He was dominant against righties. He's awful against lefties. And you rolled out one lefty one. in the yep. lineup because Jordan's hurt, and you have a blind address problem. So like. That's that's why I want another left-handed bat. Dre saying Dre's stirring the pot. Uh, bring me Otani and, and this guy one five zero nine also doing the same. I've come around to the dark side with Creighton. Uh, Astros trade all of their top minors and one of their outfielders for Shohei and offer him the most money in Major League Baseball history, bigger than the sport. Uh, blah blah blah. Biggest post All Star question. First off, let's address the Otani thing. I saw you getting into it with somebody on Some, Twitter. The we posted on Sports Map. Uh, and you know the guys over there do a great job. Josh, Brandon, uh, Jack—they do fantastic. They have fantastic stuff on the digital side, on the sports map side. They posted a trade scenario for Shohei Otani, and they, they didn't even say to do it. They were just, you know, you know I think they were stirring Would the pot you? a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And the trade offer was Hunter Brown, Yiner Diaz, Chaz McCormick for Shohei Otani, which I just quote tweeted. I said, "No way." Ninety-five percent of the interaction I had off of that tweet agreed. That's way too much for it Shohei Otani. The five percent. They desperately want three months of Shohei Otani. See, the thing to me would be if it's not a rental. I mean, I'm doing that if part of the deal is an extension, which he's never going to do because he's going to test the market and he has every right to do it because he's going to blow 
the, the, the highest salary in the history of baseball out of the water with what he's going to get. But if there was a way that you could say, I'm going to give up those guys, but I'm going to lock down Otani for the next five years, mm-hmm. then you absolutely would consider doing that. But if you're just doing it for three months to give up those caliber of players with how depleted your system is, I don't think it's, it's, a, it's a wise move. No, I don't think you're getting Otani for a five-year deal. I think it's going to take probably at right. least seven, at least seven years. And Jim Crane has flat out told you he's not right. willing to do those type of contracts. So you're trading for three months of Shohei Otani. You're trading five years, three months of Hunter Brown, five years, three months of Yiner Diaz. I think it's three years and three months of Chaz McCormick for three months of Shohei Otani. That's outrageous. You know, the other thing, too, is I think a lot of people are, are oh, if they get Otani, they're going to win the World Series. Right. 2019. So like I say, twenty nineteen. You can you can say twenty nineteen is the best baseball team I've ever seen in my life. Good I counterpoint. swear to God, like they that rotation, the lineup, they were so incredible, and then it won the World Series. There really yeah. weren't any holes. Like so, like are you going to trade Otani for all those great players for what? The second counterpoint to the it's not a guarantee. What has Shohei Otani done? How many rings does Shohei Otani have? Like if Shohei Otani guarantees you a title. Why doesn't Shohei Otani have a ring? Plus, we kind of we laid it out for everybody at the start of the season why we weren't going to take the Angels seriously because they always have find a way to get key players hurt. They can't stay healthy. First of all, it's always been their pitching. Their pitching has been subpar. They overpay players so that they have a couple of massive names with massive contracts, and then they just try and backfill all the other positions, hoping that some guys kind of hit past their potential. But you look at it, you go, the one thing that's consistent with the Angels is they're always going to find a way to screw it up. And most of the time it's with injury. And here we are again. Trout's out. You know, their pitching has been a little less then. And 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 uh, Rondon's out. So you look at it and go, it's just another year of Angels baseball. This is what happens. It's like death taxes and the Angels are going to have several injuries. And they, you know, we've been saying they're a little bit less star and scrubby. Looking at their roster, they're still very star and scrubby. Just watch a game, you know, when I flip channels and I watch the Angels lineup and I look at it and I go, who's that guy? Who's that guy? Who's that? Oh, there's Rondon. Oh, there's Trout. Yeah. Oh, there's Otani. There's a few other names where you go, oh, there's Hunter Renfro. But other than that, you're going, who are these guys? Seven one three seven eight zero espn Biggest questions you have in the second half of the Astros. 713-780-3776-3780. Do you think Jordan Fuller will be back right after the break? Uh, Ha, ha, ha. I see what you did there. Um, Jordan had the quote from the uh, the new guy, the Chronicle. Uh, I don't know how to say his name, and I don't have it up on me right now. Um, Well, they got a new guy. Jordan, yeah, they they filled the Rome spot. He came from San Francisco, I believe. Um, he's done some good work so far. I mean, I haven't like dove in and stuff, but anyways, he has this, uh, he had this quote, Matthew Kawahara. Okay. So Jordan Alvarez said at today's all-star availability, he's feeling good physically in recovery from his oblique strain. Quote, Jordan says through a translator, I think the plan is after the all-star game, go down to the minors, play a couple games and get ready to come back. What does that mean? Guess the date. When is Jordan Alvarez back? Does he miss a series? He misses well, the road trip in Cal- uh, coming out of the break, and he's back. That's That was my guess, too, is like you just don't have him go on the road trip because, I mean, Jordan Alvarez finds ways to get sent home from long extended trips anyways. Um, just have him for the homestand whenever you come back home. Now, the way that quote reads, though, I think that we're maybe being a little bit too conservative. If Jordan's saying, I think the plan is after the All-Star game, like, okay, is it this week? Is it Friday, Saturday, Sunday? 
He says, I think the plan is after the All-Star game, go to the minors, play a couple of games. Like, I don't think they're going to have him down in the minors for more than three games, two to three games, and get ready to come back. So if we're thinking July 24th, that I don't think that quote from Jordan Alvarez sounds like July 24th. I think it sounds like July 18th. I think it's, it's sooner rather than later, and I think that's a good thing if you're an Astros fan because I think you can tread water again on, on the road trip, and then I think that once you get back, that's when you start really kicking it into gear, assuming that Altuve's right behind him getting ready to come back. You know, Dana Brown has said on, on multiple different opportunities with uh, broadcasts that, look, he's a quick healer. This is what we're planning for him to do. Mm-hmm. But we all know that he is already quite pissed off in the way his season has gone and that when he's ready to play, he's going to want to be there and be in that lineup and play. Yep. And I would assume that he – I don't know that he's going to beat Jordan back on the field, but I think right after that he's going to be there. And to that point, Brown said that Altuve is probably a week behind Jordan. So let's just be like pie in the sky, Astro goggles on here for a second. Let's let's take the Jordan Alvarez quote like very seriously. Let's say that he's he's back with a rehab assignment immediately after the All-Star break. Let's say like a Friday, Sunday, or even if I don't think he's going to play in all three games, like a Friday, Sunday, and then he joins the Astros on the trip. Because look, Colorado Rocky pitching, Oakland Athletic pitching, no doubt, it's kind of an extended rehab assignment, right? You're not going to see the very best pitching there. Maybe you play him in one of the two games in Colorado. You give him off the day off the uh, the the day game on Wednesday. You play in two, maybe three of the games against Oakland. He mashes in Oakland, and then Altuve comes back on the 24th for the homestand. I just want to see him in so Colorado. Optimi- I was going to say a check swing from Jordan's getting out. I mean, he might hit a 500 foot bomb in Colorado. In air? Like I would just, I would really like to see that. Is that crazy to think that he's back on July 18th? No. If he's saying that, hey, the plan after the All-Star break is I'm going to go down, play in a couple minor league games, and then I'm back up, I think July 18th through July 24th is the window for Jordan. I think that is the window for Jordan. I think the window for Altuve, I think the earliest we see him is the 24th. I think the window for Altuve is the 24th through the Well, 31st. Dana Brown said he's at a week behind. Yeah. So, now, if Alvarez is moving quicker than expected, but they said Altuve's you know, moving quicker than expected, so... It's very fair that by I think by August first both guys are back. George did the cliff I did too. of our conversation. No, but I, I yeah he did. Yeah. He yeah. did. He summed it up nicely. He, he can write the summary on the podcast. But, I'll have the intern do it. <laughs> Mitchell, he can he can summarize so, it. I think July eighteenth is the beginning of the timeline for Jordan. I, I think it's twenty fourth for Altuve. Obviously, we're coming up on the deadline too. But I think like realistically, the way I said that previously, this is where they have to stick. They have to put it in gear. They have to take it yeah. to another level and just go. This is our push starting right now. We know the Rangers are in our windshield, not our rear view. You know, we're, we're catching, but we're going to catch them because we only got two games to make up. And if we get these guys back, that's a huge shot in the arm where we didn't have to trade anything or do anything to get. Now, if Arcadie's back, Dana Brown, do your work because you're going to have a squad that's going to be hungry going forward for the rest of the regular season. They might just need a little help where you got to come in and fortify the rest of this lineup. Somebody else asked, how do you think Jordan would do in the home run derby? Get, I don't want to hurt. think about it. I don't want to even think about Jordan Alvarez in the home run derby. I Oblique. think Jordan Alvarez thinking about the home run derby leads to a trip on the IL. You saw him yesterday when they they had him on the side, and he was you know talking to someone about how you know, turning on and stuff like that. And all I could think about was, Worst recipe in the history of baseball. Bad obliques, home run derby. <laughs> yeah, keep no, away. No, thank you. I don't even want him dreaming about the home run derby. No. 713-780-ESPN. What is your biggest questions that you have for the Astros second half of the year? 713-780-3776. Uh, it's the Killer Beast on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5.
Welcome back, Houston. It's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Corey says, I take Davinsky back. I have his Game of Thrones bobblehead riding a dragon. LOL. Those were pretty popular people, when he was good. People love that show. Game of, Ocho, in fact, just told me to. No, but that bobblehead, so good. the line was like, like no, most of them were long yeah. to get in there first. That Game of Thrones one was like wrapped around Minute Maid twice to get a, try and get that one. Was it DaVinci or was it Game of Thrones that was moving the needle there? I don't think it was Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Imagine Ocho. how popular it would be if they put a good player on it. Oh, Jeez, man. Devo was an all-star. Down, from way downtown. He's a Bang. former all-star. Davinsky catching some strays on the killer beast for no good whenever reason. Whenever he came to the mound up on his toes, yeah. the balls of his feet just kind of bobbing and weaving. Like, I like yeah, when, He I, always had a ton of confidence. I liked him walking off the mound. That too. Because <laughs> he was like, you know, kind of untuck your shirt, put the lunch pail down. I did my job kind of strike. Right. Exactly like, right. I was going to throw an extra word day. in there, but yeah, you're exactly right. <laughs> uh, yeah, o- Ocho already told me to, that I was fired today because I told him I didn't watch Game of Thrones. I watched the final season. I didn't season. either. I, I watched, never watched it. Yeah, I watched the final season because I'm a good husband. But I, that's So you watched the worst season? I did, yeah, unintentionally. That sucks. Yeah, unintentionally. I didn't mean to do that. I finished Ted Lasso last night, too, by the way. Also the worst season of that show. I've heard from multiple people that the last season was last awesome. season was garbage. Uh, the, the final episode, though, was solid. They, they kind of saved their bacon a little bit. The final episode was solid. The last season was not good. I am a huge believer in no spoilers, so that's all that I'm going to say. 713-780-ESPN. Um, 5798. My biggest questions coming out of the break are about how well they can do in the next 25 games. The first nine are a good opportunity to get ahead of the Rangers. Then they have a 16-game gauntlet of playoff caliber teams. Blankers, I think this is kind of to your point. Like, second half of the break, you all kind of limped into the All-Star break. You're getting healthy post-All-Star break. You're hoping that you add a player or two ahead of August 1st. Look, you're in the playoffs of the season were to end today, but you're only a game ahead of the Yankees, two of the Red Sox, you're two back from the Rangers. I think you got to start hitting the accelerator a little bit. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, they have to go complete go-for-it mode now. There is no, you know, resting guys for this many days, and if a guy's hot, sit him down for a day. This is where you make up for all of what's happened in the first half of the season and you realize, look, realistically, and we were talking about this the other day, where if I put this whole scenario out for you of all the guys that you already rattled off that have been injured and the fact that the Rangers suddenly found some kind of success and they were leading the division and you know you were going through all these different trials and tribulations and yet you're only two games out of first place with almost a complete half a season to play – no one would say no to that. They would take that. You're in a great position. Most people would expect you're about 10 games out and you're going to really have a struggle trying to get in the right playoff position. Everything you have in front of you will control your own. You can control your own destiny. So you're in a great position, but there, the time for like coasting is over. Now you put the pedal down. The minute the lineup gets healthy, you decide to go take care of your business, take care of the Rangers like you normally do because they're on your schedule. The Rangers' schedule is a lot tougher than yours is going to be the rest of the season. Handle your business, beat the teams you're supposed to beat, win the series that you're supposed to win, and you're going to be in a great position. What he said. Now, I, I'm a little bit more open to, like, days off. Like, you got to protect the players. you got to make sure that they're not going to get achy hurt. they're achy or whatever, or, you know, and there are times, especially against certain opponents, where I can totally realistically see you're going to sit a guy down. Mm-hmm. I don't think Altuve is going to want to sit down. Uh, I think that you're going to get guys like Jordan. I think you have to sit down. I think you have to sit down Altuve. He's had four major, well, four injuries this year, two of a major. 
I, I you don't you know he doesn't want to, but yeah, you have to kind of think for him sometimes, get out in front of it. Mm-hmm. But I want to do that against the A's. I want to do that against teams where it's not essential. Like you and I were talking about, it's one thing to say for us looking forward to a game and a matchup and a pitching matchup and going, I want to see how they stack up against a pitcher like yeah. that with a lineup like that. But then when the lineup comes out and you go, well, God, three guys aren't playing. And, you know, what fun is this going to be? That those days are over. Now go get it, punch them in the mouth, and show them you're still the team to beat. Yeah, punch them in the mouth. One five zero nine. No, that's Jordan rule number three. Jordan does not play in the All Star game or home run derby events. That's a great one. I don't know if it was rule number three, but we'll throw it into the Jordan rules. I think it's number twenty two. Eight zero two nine. Will Jordan be soft? S A W F T. All capital letters. His entire career. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> is is it is coddled? Different than soft? I don't think so. Okay. No. I, I think it is. I think a team will coddle a player that they've committed a ton to, even though it was a bargain, to make sure that he's on the field as opposed to a player who's soft, who sits out all the time, whether it's because of injury or just because he doesn't have all that kind of go for it, heart of a, you know, heart of a champion, heart of whatever, eye of the tiger kind of thing. I, I think that... If you're coddled, that's an organization and a manager trying to be smart. I think if you're soft, it means you're kind of a a feline when it comes to wanting to put together, you know, the kind of seasons and effort that you're expected to have when you're paid a lot of money. I think Jordan's injury prone. I don't think he's soft. He was. He said he was trying to play through the oblique. Uh, he's played through sore hands. I think that he's injury prone. I don't think that he's soft. Lance on the other side of it, uh, he's a little soft. Seven one three seven eight. Zion Williamson is injury prone. No, I think that he can be soft. <laughs> he's he is, definitely he's soft. definitely no, soft. but like Jordan, there's history of Jordan trying to play through injury. Like Jordan, the sore hands played through that. Uh, Jordan, even the most recent injury, they said he was trying to play through an oblique that he had felt, and then it flared up again at batting practice. He probably should have been honest, and, and as soon as it flared up, like said something, and maybe it wouldn't have been as long of an injury. So I don't think that Jordan is soft per se. I know I've said that in the past. I don't think Jordan's soft. I think he's very injury prone. Lance, I think, is both injury prone and uh, and a bit soft. He needs his hair to be just right when he's pitching on the mound for the San Antonio or in San Antonio against the Missions, or he's not going to have a good outing. Uh, 713-780-3776. What are your questions in the second half? Do you have any here, Joe, before I rattle off my three? Uh, my biggest question is going to be Christian Javier and Hunter Brown. Okay, those are my, those are two of my three. Like, what does Hunter Brown look like? I mean, he's obviously going to go way past his innings, pitch counts that he's ever done in his life. Mm-hmm. Like, what is he going to look like? How are they going to strategically, you know, stop him from being Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor, Dusty Baker? Um, what is Christian Javier going to look like? Like, is that fastball going to, is the velocity going to go up? Is it going to disappear on people? It's like, who are these guys? Because, like, yes, the Astros can win the World Series. I don't know if they can if at least one of those guys is not at their elite level. I think it's. I think that was where I was going, and you summed it up, was instead of what are we going to get from them, who are they truly going to be? With a real Hunter Brown for this season, please stand up. Are you going to be dominant? Are you going to have two-pitch dominance? Are you going to use the right pitches at the right time with your sequencing? Are you going to be the kind of guy that we know that you can be down the road, but they kind of need you to be this year? That's a big question for me, and and I'm sure that you know Fromber would like to bargain way, bargain his way into giving a few miles an hour off that 98 mile an hour fastball back to Javier if it meant that you got your true number two back to do the kind of things he did last postseason. Yeah, um, were you guys in favor of six man? I think I know where Joe is at on this. See, to me, yeah, I think they should because I think it protects both of those things. 
to me, it kind of goes against what I said about putting the pedal down and go for it. See, I don't. It just depends on who the pitchers are. I don't. I don't think it does because I think you're right. It does depend on who the pitcher is. If it's Brandon Belak, it's a much different conversation than if it's mm, you know Eduardo Rodriguez. Okay, or Shane Bieber. Or Shane. Yeah, that's that's a much different conversation. Yeah. So it kind of protect. I mean, a six man rotation would protect Hunter Brown from a huge workload. It's going to you know, savor Christian Javier's arm a little bit more. It protects you from a huge workload of, you know, a Fromber Valdez who last year was the only pitcher, I think, in the American League that went over 200 innings and is an Iron Man and a workhorse for you again. Um, so I, I'm cool with the idea of a six-man rotation. I also think it helped your bullpen in the playoffs because they weren't taxed. Like, look how many times Phil Maton has pitched. Brian Abreu has oh, pitched. Oh, God. Are they going to be? Yeah, are they going to be as good this postseason, not as fresh as they were last postseason? Like, even, even though you're two games back and that you're going to be in this race, I am a proponent of a six-man rotation. It, it needs to not be Brandon Belak. It a, needs to the, not be Ronel Blanco. That's the biggest thing is you have to tell me who those six guys are going to be for me to be fully on board with it. But I truly think, look, because I think the Hunter Brown uh, model has already been set up for the organization by what happened to Luis Garcia. Like, you know, we kept hearing over and over about Luis Garcia has never pitched this many innings, never, never, never thrown this much in a season in his entire life, let alone in his professional life. But they were like, yeah, it's okay because he, he seems to be good. And then he wasn't. And now he's not. And you can't afford to have that happen again with a Hunter Brown type. So you've got to be a little bit more careful and handle him a little bit more with kid gloves than you did with Garcia because you truly need him even more maybe than you needed a Garcia when you had studs at the top of the rotation. 713-780-ESPN. Biggest questions for the Astros going to the second half. 713-780-3776. I have one left that I'm surprised we have not brought up. And we'll get to yours as well. What happens with Yiner Diaz when Jordan Alvarez comes back? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Uh, something that I never, I might need this, depending on what the Astros do with Yiner Diaz, but it's something that's a staple in my life anyways. Gentle Ben, I've been telling you for what seems like years that Gentle Ben is the best. Many of you that have tried it, people tweet me them um, their drinks of Gentle Ben all the time. They're like, oh, you, you were right. This is the very best. People tweet me pictures of them at, uh, at the Gentle Ben Bar at Minute Maid Park, right? when you walk in from the Union Station entrance, by the way. So I know many of you have tried it. Many of you have now been, you know, you, you think what I think, and I've been telling you forever, that Gentle Ben is the very, very best. The vodka, the gin, the stray bourbon whiskey, cast-drank bourbon, it's all top shelf. It all starts with the finest ingredients, too. Classic time-honored distilling me- methods. Gentle Ben uses the revolutionary technology that eliminates impurities for the cleanest, smoothest spirits that you'll ever taste. You get all the flavor, none of the burn, unparalleled smoothness, and an enjoyable drinking experience. The next time you head to dinner, go to your favorite bar, ask for Gentle Ben. Uh, Shad Miller was in here the other day recording a commercial, owns all the little Woodrows. He's carrying Gentle Ben now because he says it's so very good. Look for Gentle Ben at the liquor store on your way home, pick up a bottle today, or if you're looking for plans, head to that Gentle Ben tasting room in Alvin. We mentioned that the Gentle Ben bar inside of Minute Maid Park as well. Stop by as you head to your seats. Gentle Ben, all the flavor, none of the burn. The Killer Bees. What about the murderous Jays? We've got Joel, Jeremy, and Joe. That's three Jays. Coming to you live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. It's the Killer Bees and Murderous Jays. Junior Broncos saying, we were talking during the break. I said that in another life. I should have been a boxer. I think I would have been like Julio Cesar Chavez. I think I would have been the next Oscar de la Hoya. I'm kidding. 
Uh, Junior Bronco says the Gen Zs at 97.5 are power hungry because they want the uh, they want to mod us. Yeah, they mod the Gen Zs, but they won't mod the Gen JBs. I don't understand. I don't it's get it. Not, the Gen Bs. I just don't appreciate that. Appreciate what? I don't like being looped into the Gen Z category. Are you Gen Z? No, dude. How old do you have to be to be Gen Z? You have to be born in like 2003. So is that the entire... I mean, they're talking about the wheelhouse. Wheelhouse all Gen Zs? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I don't... I don't, I don't I'm know a millennial. They, no, they're not. <laughs> of, course, of course they're Gen not. Gen Zs were born in 97. Is that what Gen Z is? 97 through 12. Between 9 and 24 years old. Oh. So calling them Gen Zs is a, a huge burn. 24 is a little light. Yeah, I thought I thought you'd get to like 29, then I'd say, yeah, they all are. Yeah, they're not Gen Z. They're millennials. Yeah, we're all millennials. I'm a millennial. I don't I, think Blankers is. No, he's not. He's like I'm on, boomer. He's a boomer. I'm on the cusp. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Joe, you're going to get it today. <laughs> you, said, are, you are going to get it, it today. He said it too. You're yeah, going to get not, it. Today. You're nicer than me than I am. He yeah. expects it from me. <laughs> I don't say I enjoy it, but I expect it from him. But you're going to get it from me today, Joe George. <laughs> One, six, three, eight. I think soft is uh, psychological. I do, too. I really do. I don't think it's physical. I think it's more psychological than anything else. Uh, 4187, what happens if the Astros don't make the playoffs? Homer hats for all the killer bees and Joes. They're calling us homers because we're talking about the Astros being a decent baseball team. Not like they've earned it or anything. You know, they've only... Know, won two World Series and have been to four and only you know won the been to the ALCS six straight times. But but again, we we shouldn't be talking about the Astros like they're a good baseball organization. But what happens if the Astros don't make the playoffs? Who boy, it's going to be a hell of an off season because there's going to be a whole lot of irate fans and there's going to be a, a whole lot of attention on Dana Brown and there's going to be a whole focus on how do you fix it as soon as possible. And get them back quickly. Yeah, I think you get up, dust yourself off, and I think you're in a decent spot. Honestly, like, I don't think. Look, I, I agree with you. I don't think injuries has been their biggest problem this whole year. I, I think that if you can get everybody back and healthy, and then Dana can do some things in the off season, I think there's no reason not to believe this team is going to compete for another championship next year. It's just it'd be a hard pill to swallow for all the Astros fans that have been loving it, and all of us that have been loving this this golden era of Astros baseball ride we've been on because we've been spoiled like beyond belief. Yeah. When you realize that when you look, I don't think Astros fans truly realize it. And the only fan base that can maybe relate is Atlanta, but unless you've gone on a run for that sustained amount of time, you don't realize living in Milwaukee, living in the, in smaller markets, the fact that. You would you would kill to have your team be able to go on a run like that, even half of that. It would be amazing, and most cities don't get to go through it. No, yeah, the Astros have been on a on a great run, but but it, as far as like 2024, the Astros making or missing the playoffs, I don't really think has a huge bearing on on next season. In fact, you can make the cases of how it might be a little bit better. Right? We talked about workload for these pitchers. Maybe you get more of a sense of urgency after missing. Uh, but no one wants to see that. No one wants to see the Astros miss the playoffs, obviously. All right, the, the big question that is still out there that is the top of my list is what happens to Yiner Diaz once Jordan Alvarez is back? Yiner Diaz has DH'd almost every single game since Jordan Alvarez has been out. Yiner Diaz has been the the most influenced player since Jordan Alvarez has been out. He has started more games than anybody else from, like, the rotation guys. Yiner has more starts than Maldonado, Jolks, Dubon, Chaz, Myers, since Jordan Alvarez went down. But when Jordan Alvarez comes back, we're expecting him to DH at least half the time, probably more, and I would like it to be 100% of the time. 
We all believe that Dusty Baker has a, you know, an affinity for Martin Maldonado being his backstop and guiding these young pitchers through. What is the plan? What happens to Yiner Diaz when Jordan Alvarez makes his triumphant return to the Houston Astros lineup? I think it's a similar conversation to what we were having with Dubon when Dubon had to kind of real, realistically believe that with Altuve coming back, that he wasn't going to have a regular spot with a regular position to play every day. You find a way to make sure that they're in the lineup. I think that it's different than a Dubon that can play left field that has a lot more versatility than than Yiner, but Yiner still has enough versatility that you find a way to play him. You know left field is a problem. If you don't want Jordan in left field, you can't put Yiner out there. If Jordan can play left field, you can have those two big bats in the lineup at the same time because Yiner can DH. And then if he's not DHing and Abreu gets a day off, then Yiner's your first baseman. And, of course, we all know about the ongoing you know, massive battle royale, but also Astros fans, Maldi versus Yiner, and how many games does he catch? But going with your recipe for how many games he should play in a week when we always go, yeah. always go through this, there's a way to get him in five times a week. I think I've altered that a little bit, though, because Abreu's been hitting better since oh, yeah. I made that. So, like, do I want Maldonado and Abreu in the lineup the same amount of days per week? No, I want I want Abreu in the lineup more than I want Maldonado sure. in the lineup. And I know Maldi's homered in each of the last two games. I personally don't want to see a whole lot of Jordan Alvarez in left field. Jordan Alvarez is crucial to the but that's ceiling your of this answer team. to how you find a way for Yiner to be in the lineup. I think the well, maybe for Dusty, I think the easiest answer is that Yiner is your permanent catcher. Like he's catching seventy percent of the games. I just think that one thing that Dusty, well, more than that, but you know, Pawpaw's gut. But on top of that, it's just the whole being able to manage the game from behind the plate aspect. No, you're right. The Dusty has that viewpoint. Yeah. And I, 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 from a Dusty point of view, I don't think Yiner Diaz is going to catch more games than Martin Maldonado. He will Maldonado. not relinquish that, that, uh, that belief think, in Maldi behind the dish for that very reason. I think it's a critical error. I think it it's is, a critical it, error. And he, and, and, and let's hope we don't look back on the season and think it's the one that got him. But I think that there's no doubt in my mind Dusty feels that way, and he ain't coming off down from that that mountain. Because I don't think Jordan – like, how many games do you think Jordan plays in left versus DHs? You think it's 50-50? Do you think I, well, it's if you talk to Jeff Bagwell, it is. I, I well, it's different now. He's had, he's had an oblique strain. He has, but is he more likely to hurt the oblique swinging or playing the field? I would imagine swinging. Yeah. But, so, but if he's going to – but he's playing the field, he's, you know, he's active and more chances to I get would hurt. say that, again, if you're going to be smart – on the way between now and the playoffs, you're probably 50-50. It also depends on what you do with but the, if you the go trade with, market. But if you also go with what you – for sure. But it's also what I was saying about if this is go time and you're going to put the pedal down and you know he's going to be there in the playoffs, then maybe it's 70-30. You're talking about Jordan in left, left field. That scares me. I knew it would, but it's also realistic in fact. And it depends on – you know what else? It depends on where you are in the standing. If you're managing the team, how are you handling it? 50-50. With Jordan? Yeah, Jordan's in left 50% of the time. He's DH in 50%. If of the I'm time. managing the team, I'm putting Jordan in left like 20% of the time. And then, I'm yeah, 20% of the time. And I'm probably going to, depending on what you do with the trade market, that's going to be my bat. This is going to play the guy that's going to play left field. If it's a lefty, splatooning with jolks, things like that. If I'm managing the team, Yiner Diaz is catching four of my five starters. I'm sorry. I need my offense right now is 13th in baseball. Yeah, Maldi Maldi gets one guy. Maldi gets Fromber Valdez because I don't need a ton of offense when Fromber's on the mound. But if I'm managing the team, 
Yiner Diaz is my catcher, four of my five starters, because this team desperately needs offense and the counterpoints to be, well, the Astros are second best in pitching ERA. Maldi's instrumental with that. Go look at Hunter Brown's ERA when he's pitching yeah. to these catchers. He's a better pitcher for some reason. I think it's probably coincidence more than anything else. I don't think Yiner's like sprinkling some magic on Hunter Brown, but I don't think that the gap with whatever Maldonado is giving you over Yiner Diaz from like a catcher ERA perspective, I'm not even sure if it's real, but even if it is real, whatever you're getting there, Maldonado over Diaz, does not equal Maldonado what you're losing with the bat over think, Diaz. I'm catching Diaz for my five starters. Sorry. I, I, I think the, the one thing, the caveat that I don't like is just what they do at the deadline because we just don't know. But if they do go get a bat, then this scenario – is more advantageous and also more interesting because now you still got to find a home for Yiner, and then that really becomes a, a, an yeah. issue at, at behind home plate. If you, if you don't, if you're just saying at this lineup and as we currently see it sure. with the roster that we have, now I'm like, is it a pot? If they don't get another bat, do you start having Yiner go out to the left field and start taking fly balls? Yeah, and, and try to figure out if he can play left field. Yeah, because I yeah, I would too. Because if he can, just the way he they converted him to first base kind of quickly. But if he can play the outfield at all, I mean, there's another big bopping bat in left field, and we know he's got a gun of an arm. If he can just you know learn how to play left field at Minute Maid and 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 understand just some little things about outfielding, mm-hmm. there's a chance to have as strong a lineup. And then as a pitcher too, because if he is just behind the plate more often, the fact is. If you then then the importance is really on getting another bat because if this lineup is good enough to go from three runs a game to about five runs a game, now you're not in one run games and tie games in the eighth and the ninth where you really need Maldi. Now you're in a position of strength where Yiner can take you through those games. Right. Personally, I would want Yiner catching eighty percent of the games. Now, if I they, understand if it. Dusty refuses to do that, which again is probably realistic. You need to figure out what Yiner is in left field. I think that's a good point. I don't think he's good enough to play defensively in left field, especially this quickly. And then even if you are like having that conversation, now it kind of circles back around to Jolks versus Maldonado. Like I'd rather have Jolks in the lineup than Maldonado. So like the easy answer is Yiner catches. Ocho says Yiner over Jolks in left field. Look, I think Yiner's a better hitter than Corey Jolks. Jolks is a way better outfielder. Yeah, like I don't even know if Yiner's capable of doing it. So like even if you go to like down that route, okay, well who's a better bat in the lineup, Corey Jolks or Martin Maldonado? Even if you don't make a trade, it's Corey Jolks. Right. Like, the easy solution, and again, it's probably going to be the most difficult solution to get your manager to do, is that Yiner Diaz, when you're on his back, is now your primary catcher. 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. Aaron Jones is uh, apparently going to win a championship. He might finally win a championship. Do you know what championship Aaron Jones is about to win? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting thrown into the wolves here. He's about to win a cornhole world championship. Great for Aaron Jones. What's the backyard game you think you could win a world championship in? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5.